As parents, we are blessed with the gift of raising our children and helping to shape their futures. It's a challenge that can be both difficult and incredibly rewarding. We want to be the best parents and grandparents we can be. The Bible is the best resource for every aspect of living, and it excels in parenting. God's Word guides us in the goal of raising amazing kids. all of you that are joining us online and those on all of our campuses. Thank you so much for being here and being a part of this service today. We are in a series on parenting and we started last Sunday. It's a four-part series. We started last Sunday and if you didn't hear the message, I wish you'd go back and hear it. You can hear it on your, your uh, phone app or on our website. And I really want you to hear it. And the reason is because what we did is look at Deuteronomy chapter 6. And it has been for 4,000 years one of the greatest chapters, I think maybe in the whole Bible, the greatest chapter on parenting on what a parent is to be, what the job is about, and how we can accomplish that job. And I wish you'd go back and listen. This morning, I want to talk to you about the second part of this series. I want to tell you, when we get to the end of the series, you're going to be saying, well, I wish he would have covered this and this and this and this and this in parenting because parenting is hard and it's got a whole lot of components to it. And the truth is, there's no way to do that in a short series. But in your student notes, do you notice the... the QR code that is there that you can scan. If you scan that QR code, it'll bring up a, a whole section of parental helps, of places you can go online. It's got every kind of topic you can imagine. You can go and search for the topic that you're struggling with, that you need coaching on, that you need help, books that we would advise you to get, and all that sort of thing. And it's our education staff that put that together. Now, I'm not endorsing anything. I haven't been through all of those websites and all of that. So everywhere you go, when you are listening to a Bible study or sermon, like as me teaching or whatever, you need to judge what you're hearing according to God's word. And I hope you'll do that. But these are some great resources for you. And I hope you'll take advantage of them. Now, when you talk about, by the way, I do like amens, and I'm hearing more stuff in this service than I have heard in a long time, so yay God for all of you. Now, the, it, it, we don't know much about Jesus' time as a baby, as a child. We don't know much. His growing up. There's really one verse. It's Luke chapter 2, uh, verse 52, that says, and Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature, and in favor with God, and favor with man. There's four key components to that, that all of these we're trying to do in the life of our children. One, Jesus grew in wisdom. So what is wisdom? Well, the best definition I know, the simplest definition I know is that wisdom is the ability to take biblical truths and incorporate them into everyday life. And, and God wants us to grow in wisdom. And, and this, I will tell you, is the missing link. 
In parenting, this is the missing link in the lives of our kids. Well, we send them to church, we get them in Sunday school and all that. But what needs to happen in the heart and life of a parent and every one of us is to take the Bible and put it into everyday life in our life and then share what we experience with our kids. I, I mentioned this last week and teach our children how to, how to live the principles of God in everyday life. So the question is, how do you get this wisdom? For the last 15 years or so, I've been sharing with you that one of the greatest things that God put me onto was the book of Proverbs. Uh, we get wisdom from all over the scripture, but Solomon, who wrote the book of Proverbs, had as a goal to compile all of these truths, put them into this one book that he would give as a gift to his sons, to teach them how they could live with wisdom every day in their life. And did you know that God has preserved this book for us? And one of the ways that you can really grasp and learn from the book of Proverbs is if you'll read the proverb of the day of the month. Today's the 22nd. So read Proverbs 22. They don't build on each other. They're independent chapters. So read Proverbs chapter 22 tomorrow, Proverbs chapter three. February 1st, start all over in Proverbs and start going day by day. So what happened to me is when I got on this, I began to use, I began to use that method and I began to learn every day. I would go to the proverb of the day and I would say, God, what is it you want to teach me this day about dealing with the day that I'm about to experience? I, I don't do it every, every month of my life. I'm not actually doing it now. I'm re reading through the book of, uh, uh, through the New Testament, but you can do both. And so some of you are saying, okay, now the last, when I was here last week, you were trying to get me to read all through the New Testament and now you're trying to get me to read Proverbs. <laughs> do you not know that I work? Do you not know I'm limited in time? What I do know is that we're on Facebook a whole lot. I know, what I do know is we're on television. We're, we're watching TV a lot. I, I know that we're doing a whole lot of stuff on our phones all the time. I know we probably have more time than we really admit, and it'd be a good thing to take some of that time and let God begin to teach us about him and about how to live each day in wisdom. Jesus grew in wisdom, and in stature, he grew, it, he just grew up. That's what that means. And then he grew in favor with God, which means spiritual development that was happening in his life. And he, and he grew in favor of men, meaning he grew socially. If you think about it in wisdom and growing up physically and spiritually and socially, when you put all of these things in your life, you grow up to be a well-adjusted person ready to take on the world. And isn't that our, our goal as parents? I want to encourage you to do that. Now, this morning, I want us to begin going through eight key principles. These principles, all these eight principles, are designed to help us be more effective as parents. And I want to look at three of them today, five of them next week, to help us as we grow our kids to be amazing kids. So let's look at the first one. First is accept your child's unique personality. Uh, kids don't come out the same. All kids are different. However many kids you have is a, the amount of different kids you have. 
They're all different. And you know what? I didn't realize this until my second child. My first child, I, we had two children. My first child, I thought, okay, I'm getting this all together. And then Jonathan came along and he was totally different. I have two sons that are sort of uh, opposite poles in personality from each other. You teach the same morals, what is right is right, what is wrong is wrong. You teach the morals, you teach character, you teach God's word into their heart, but you have to do it differently is what the point I'm making is. Because each child, you get through to each child a little bit differently than the other. Learning who your child is, learning, learning how God created and, and sort of fit together your child is so vitally important. And I discovered that the Bible has actually been teaching this all along. In Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 6, listen to what it says. Train a child in the way that he should go, and when he's older or old, he will not depart from it. Oh, my early life, I thought what this meant was, you train up a child in God's way, in the way he should go. Well, that's got to be God's way. In God's way, and when he's old, he'll not depart from God's way. That's how I read the verse. I think most people read the verse that way. But the problem, and by the way, there's nothing wrong with that. There's everything good about it. Teach your children God's way and, and uh, build that into their heart. The only problem with this particular verse is that that's not what the Hebrew is actually saying. The Amplified Bible does a great job with this. Here is what the Amplified Bible says. Train a child in the way he should go, meaning, and this is the parentheses, in keeping with the child's individual gift or bent. And when he is old, he'll not depart from it. And circle the word it. The word it actually modifies train, not way. It's talking about when they will not, they will always remember your training. Howard Hendricks was in the 20th century, one of the greatest uh, expositors, one of, the, one of the greatest Bible teachers that I've ever encountered. And I think it was, it was Howard Hendricks that opened my eyes to this, or at least added on to what I was already beginning to learn and listen to what he said now Howard Hendricks went to heaven in 2013 so he's been there for about 10 years but listen to what he said train up a child according to that child's life's needs temperament personality and place in the family Proverbs is saying train up a child in keeping with our accordance to his particular mannerisms, his characteristics, his way. Every child has a way. Every child has a personality. Every child is a little bit different from the other child. The rules for right and wrong are the same. But each child's personality is learning those principles of life differently. That's the idea. So if you have two children, it's hard. I can tell you that. But what about three? What about five? What about seven? What about eight kids? Every single child has their way of learning, their personality, their disposition, their 
learning how to get through to each child means we have to learn how God made them. A smart parent comes to know the way God made that child, studies that child, and then fits the training accordingly. Now, I want to, I want to make a statement so I can really nail this thing down for a moment. So stay with me. I, I do, I, I have habitually over the course of my last few decades taken online video courses. And you can take them from any university you want to. And I was taking a online course on history. I love history on history of Western civilization. And uh, I don't now remember the name of the professor or the name of the university. It was a state school. This guy was not a Christ follower. At least he didn't say he was. But in the course of going through one of the lessons, he stopped for a moment and he said, you know what? Today, people identify themselves by sexuality. He said, in all my studies, there was never a, a generation that ever did that before. No one ever identified, oh, this is who I am, and it was about sexuality. And he said, I'm deeply concerned about this generation and its identification. And I think you know where I'm going with the whole I am a and LGBTQ and all that. No, that isn't your identity. That's not who you are. So let me give you an illustration of this. I had, not in this church, but in a previous church, I had a guy who made an appointment to see me, came in to see me and we were talking and the reason he came is that he has a strong, strong attraction sexually to children. But he assured me he had never acted on it. He came in to see me because he wanted to see if I would say, that's okay, it's okay to act on that. I said to him, that, no. Just because a person has an attraction, has an urge, does not mean God wants you to be that, do that. No. There's a, there are things that are right. There's things that are wrong. They'll be right and wrong a thousand years from now in the eyes of our God. And having an urge does not mean that's who you are. It, mean it means it's something you must overcome. When I'm talking about your child being, I'm talking about personality, how God wired your child, and God would never wire us in a way that would violate his word. Are you hearing me? Okay, so I wanna make sure I get that, lay, that understood. You're, one of the things that this is about is that you don't compare your siblings. Why aren't you more like your brother? Why don't you make the great grades that your sister makes? Your child doesn't have to be like any other sibling because your child gets to be who they are. And one of the worst things that can ever happen, there's no good that comes from, from comparing siblings. There's only bad. It, it only breaks up the relationship of the siblings. 
God in his sovereignty gave your child different personalities and abilities. And the greatest thing you could ever do as a parent is discover who they are and give acceptance to what God did in their life. I've been to, it's got to be a thousand ball games, maybe it's 10,000. I've I, I way long ago lost count. Both of our boys, when they were growing up, we had them get into every kind, every sport. It seems like every kind of sport. We wanted them to learn the sports, but we really, what the biggest thing was, we wanted them to learn team what team was about. We, wanted, we felt like that was part of growing. I wanted them to be, have at least a proficiency in every sport. Neither one of them are going to be uh, um, professional athletes. Good grief, look at the genes they got. Uh, I, I, I'm not one, never would be even close. So they weren't ever going to be professional athletes. I wanted them to learn what you learn in sports. I wanted them to learn to be proficient in, in those sports. I will tell you one of the things I observed over all these thousands of ball games that I've been to, not just with my kids, but my grandkids, is what great coaches there are. I'm telling you, I'm amazed by these coaches that step up and spend all this time and all this energy and helping and loving these kids, men and women, helping love these kids and help bring them on and trying to help them get better in that sport. I'm amazed by them. And I'm gonna tell you, I would say 99% of the coaches that I've encountered in my life, just incredible people, incredible people. Ever so often you'll, you'll come across a, a coach that you wish, you wish wasn't a coach. You know what I'm saying? Ever so often you come across that. And there was a coach that I encountered in which uh, he was kind to all the other boys, but he, he had a son on his team and he yelled and screamed from the dugout at that child all the time. I felt so sorry for them. I think everybody in the whole area felt sorry for that poor boy. As the father would tell him how bad he was playing and all this sort of thing, his dad wanted him to be a pitcher. It's obvious that he, didn't, he wasn't gonna be a pitcher. And I heard his dad say such terrible things that I, what is wrong with him? I don't, but it's not just that particular coach years and years ago, but it was, it's parents who scream and yell, I, what's wrong with them? And I, I, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not a counselor in, in that depth of a way, and I, I, I don't know, but it just seemed to me, this, co, this, this man is somehow hoping his son will live out his life in some way. He'll, he'll, he'll either be as good as he was or maybe he wasn't all that good and he wants his son to be better at the sport. I don't know what's going on. But I think to myself, what damage you're doing. And here's what I want to say to all of us as parents. God created and fashioned your children a certain way and it was wonderful. Learn who your child is and be accepting of the personality that God gave your child. That's the first principle. The second principle then goes from there. Affirm your child's value. I think there's some parents who are, accept their kids' way, way the, the, their, their personality, how they're created, but may need some work on being more affirming to their kids. So now I, I am going to be transparent 
in a, a difficult story. So here we go. My father was a godly man. He, he was as moral as the day is long. He, he was always faithful to my, my mother. He, he was a, a great guy, great man. And uh, he loved his family. He loved uh, his churches. He was a pastor. He, he loved his country. He loved God. All of that is all true with my father. Now, my father went to be with the Lord five and a half years ago, and my mother shortly after that. And it's the only reason I'm telling you the story now. I've got a reason for it. He had a horrible upbringing. My father had a terrible upbringing. When my father, the day my father was born, his father abandoned him and um, my dad's mom. My father never laid eyes on his father never spoke to his dad, his, never reached, his dad never reached out to him and never knew his dad in any way, shape, or form. His dad abandoned him on the day he was born. And then when my dad was 11 years old, his mother died of cancer, and it was a horrible cancer that it lingered, and, it was, and he had to go through all of that and experience all that with his mom. He went to live with his grandparents, and one year after his mother died, his grandfather died. And his grandmother, who he lived with now, had no means of support. They lived in abject poverty. I don't know how anybody could live in worse. And it was, there was no family to help them. There was nothing. There was no government assistance, nothing. And to make matters worse, it was in the middle of the depression, of the Great Depression. Uh, so about a, a year or so, a couple years after, two, two years or so, after his grandfather died, his grandmother insisted, put great pressure on my father to quit school and to work full time to help support the family. And in those days, uh, you could the kid could do that at that age. And but my father knew this would be a wrong move and he knew his, his, his grandmother was desperate. But so what he did is he came up with an alter, alternative plan and he said, if I get a job before school and I get a job after school, could I stay in school? And they worked out that deal. So my father got a paper route that as many as he could go to and they used to you know, throw papers. I, do they still do that? I don't know. But they used to, they would throw papers, uh, go up and down the neighborhood and they would give the papers, the morning paper to everybody. And my father was first of all, a paper boy that went and threw the papers everywhere. And then went, came home, got his books, went to school. After school, went right to his job. And that job lasted into the uh, early evening. And when the job was over, he did this every day, went home, went to bed, got up the next morning, did exactly the same thing again. And every time he got paid, he gave all of the money to his grandmother, didn't keep any of it. Because this was to help out. When my father graduated from high school, he lied about his age to the military so that, and a lot of guys did that. It was during World War II. He lied about his age. He joined the Navy and uh, he went to basic training and then went immediately to begin. He fought in five uh, of the biggest battles in the World War, in the South Pacific in World War II. 
His last one was Iwo Jima. Thank the Lord he didn't go to Okinawa. And something happened that they didn't go. But he fought in those wars. Now he's in the Navy and what is that? And he was a radio man. So what did he do? Well, after the Marines would go in, then, then sailors would go in and he went in as a fifth wave or whatever it was every time went to shore because he would set up ship to shore communications and that. But the first thing that he did when he got to the shore is that he would pick up dead bodies and body parts and wounded soldiers and they put them, help put them into a boat and then take them out to the ship. It was the most horrible thing. He and I would talk about what he went through. You think about the horrible life growing up as a kid and then to go into five battles and to live out this thing. Well, fast forward, he's an adult, the war's over. Uh, he comes to know Jesus as his savior. And he, he meets my mother, he marries my mom, he, he feels a call to the ministry and he says yes. Neither one of them ever dreamed he would go into the ministry and he went to seminary and in seminary, one of the professors said to him, you know what, when you, get it, when, when you have kids, you're in the ministry, you put all of your energy in the church and God will take care of your children. That's not true. You, you give all your life to the church and God will take care of your kids. And my dad accepted that. So here is the deal. My dad accepted a false premise about raising kids and he, he had no role model in his life. He had three kids the first two were girls, the third one was a boy, and guess who it was? <laughs> so the problem was my father did not know how to raise kids, and he certainly didn't know how to raise a son. And he had accepted a premise that was wrong. He needed to father me. So my mother filled in as many gaps as she could. And I think about the single parents here. My mother filled in all the pieces that she could. It was never for me quite enough. And by the time I became a teenager, I had become deeply embittered against my father, against the church and God, because I wrapped them all up in one. None, none of this was fair, but it's what happened as a teenager. I became pretty tough to deal with in my bitterness. Like I said, my mom, boy, she, she was just wonderful. But one day, my father finally got it. I think I was a junior in high school or a senior. I don't now recall which, but he... He came down to the den where I was. There was such a separation between us. You just felt tension just around us. He came to sit down on the sofa with me and he said, I've been, I have not been a good dad and I know it. And I am coming down here to say to you, I'm deeply sorry. 
And he said, I, uh, and we talked about it. Uh, and he said, I can't fix the past, but I can change the future. And he did. And as adults, we became great friends. We got to know each other so much better. So what was missing, because there was no real relationship, what was missing was the sense of acceptance. And he didn't know, but all in my childhood, I kept wondering what was wrong with me. But it, there wasn't anything wrong with me. But I'd see other dads, their sons. What, what? So what was missing was acceptance. What was missing was value, building value into my life. Now, why am I telling you this story? It's not so that I would hear violins in, in the distance playing. I want to tell you, in my ministry, I've come across so many dads who are workaholic dads and, and, and workaholic moms too. And somehow, some way in their minds, they're thinking, I'm going to give more to my kids. I, I, I just going to put all my stuff, my energy in, into my career and I'll be able to buy a bigger house and, and a better car and more things for my kids. And I'm going to tell you what your kids need is you. What they need is you, not your money. They'd, they don't even know it. They'd live without some things if they just had you. And to have you means that there is a relationship. You come to know who they are and they come to know who you are and you build acceptance and value into their lives. That's what I'm talking about. Psalm 139, verse 13 and 14 says, You made my whole being. You formed me in my mother's body. I praise you because you made me in an amazing and wonderful way. What you've done is wonderful. And that's the description of every one of your kids. And what I want to urge you to do is come to know them, who they are, how they're wired. You got to, you got to figure out way, ways to get to, through to them and it's gonna be unique to every kid to help them learn what is right and what is wrong, to help them to learn how the principles of living life and to how to build character in their life. And one of the aspects that you must do is build value into the hearts of your kids. So how do you do that? How do you build value into the hearts of your kids? Well, there's several ways. First of all, give your kids times of, I wish I would have written times of, times of your undivided attention. Now, undivided attention means you're not on the cell phone, you're not watching TV, you're not doing anything else. You've got your eyes open looking into the eyes of your children and they've got their eyes open looking into your eyes, undivided attention. There have to be these times in which you have conversations with your children and they'll remember it forever. Conversations with your kids in which you're learning more, understanding more of what they're going through, what they're dealing with. You gotta do this. 
I was uh, watching an interview of a young uh, uh, baseball player who's coming up as a prospect. He's, got, he's really talented, and I just kind of wanted to know a little bit more about him. I heard his interview, and he made a statement I'd never heard before in my life, and I hurried and wrote it down. And the statement was, he said, was I was growing up, my parents taught me to be where my feet are. Be where, you, be where your feet are. It's an odd statement. I wrote it down and I thought about it and I thought, you know, I can remember times in which I wasn't where my feet are. Because when you're in the ministry, you're dealing with people, you're dealing with problems all the time. Problems all the time. Because people are people and the people have problems. And and there, I could remember times in which I was with my family, but I wasn't there. You know what I'm saying? My mind was trying to solve problems. And I realized, you know, I got, I, got to, I got to never do that again. I got to be where my feet are. And when I'm with my grandkids, I got to be there. When I'm with my adult sons, I've got to be there. That's what undivided attention actually means. And then one of the ways in which you can get undivided attention really easily when, is if you share meals together. I don't know if that's gone by the wayside or not. I'm telling you, when, when my kids were growing up, my wife said, we're having one or two meals together every day, and we did. And, and it was oftentimes breakfast, always dinner. And here were the rules. No TV can be within sight of the dinner table. Nobody can ever watch TV while you're, we're having dinner. And now she would be saying cell phones. All cell phones have to be checked, put somewhere. Uh, good amen there. Have to be somewhere. Because what Kathy said is dinner time is when we talk. Now, what happens is sometimes while you're talking, you discover problems that you didn't know were there. You, you get to talk about issues that you, you wouldn't know. Uh, they get to know, your kids get to know you. It's being together. And even, you know, it's like seeing your kid grow up. You don't actually see them grow up. Somebody that shows up a year later says, wow, your kids have really grown. And you, it, you didn't notice this. But you don't actually realize the values that are happening when you're having meals together. But over time, it piles up. And in fact, I came across this Home Life magazine article, and, and it said this. Well adjusted, there was a study done, and it's just reporting the study. It gave all the information about how the study was conducted and all this. And then it, it, it all summarized this way. Well adjusted teenagers tend to spend more me- meals with their families than poorly adjusted teenagers. And what they're saying is, what's happening in the course of having the meal together, something's happening in the lives of these, these teenage kids that were adjusted than the kids who it's helter-skelter. One of the ways in which you show value to your children is that you have undivided attention. Second of all, that you give your kids your warm affection. And I'm here to tell you, boys need affection just as much as girls. Times in which you hug them, and you know, when they're little, they sit on your lap and they snuggle up and all this. But when they get older, they do less of that, but they still need a hug. They still need your hug. My two sons, adult sons, still get my hug. And they get yours. I know that. 
But, and I, but I, have these, I have these images. We, we're all there for some reason, maybe watching a TV program together or something, and I can see my wife on the sofa sitting by one of, her, one of our sons and just rubbing his arm because love involves touch. Affection involves touch. But it also involves I love you. One million times in their lives, I love you. And kids, especially when they become adults, they, they, they say uh, they're unimpressed by, you know, don't, don't say that. But the truth is they still hear it. I love you. The third principle is give your kids your genuine appreciation in which you say, you did a great job. I'm so proud of you. I appreciate you because, don't just say I appreciate you, I appreciate you because, and fill in the blanks. And all the while you're doing this, you're telling them these good things, these wonderful things about them. Thank you. Or I know you've been working on this issue. You're making progress. Or you know what? I'm seeing talents in you. I don't know, did you know you? I think you have these talents. Kids eat that up, they need that. It's part of them discovering who they are. All of these things say to your children, I appreciate you. Proverbs 12, verse 25 says it this way, a word of encouragement does wonders. And a word of encouragement from parents? Oh, oh. So let me just tell you something. Even if your kids won't admit it, your kids care what you think and they want to please you not only do they want to please you they they want to make you proud even if they say the opposite that's not true what's really true and so you've got even as they're adults you need to communicate value to them here's the last part of that Allow your kids to finish sentences. This is one of the parenting issues that let them finish the sentence. Don't finish the sentence for them. Because oftentimes we finish the sentence wrong anyway. But here's the deal. Your kids need to learn how to actually begin a sentence and end one. Because when they're texting, I see that a whole bunch of kids don't actually know how to finish a sentence. They need to learn the skill of finishing sentences. And then, but most of all, you need to hear what is going on in their heart instead of telling them what's going on. Here's the last thing, last of the three principles for today. Correct your children without condemning. You got to correct your kids, but without condemning. The Bible says that God corrects us. Look at what he says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 6. God disciplines those he loves. And I've actually had parents have said to me, I love my kids so much, I just can't discipline them. That's not actually right. So listen to what it says. There's two ways, two things we communicate to our children when we don't discipline. That we're willing to participate, first of all, in their destruction. Listen to what the Bible says in Proverbs. By the way, do you notice how many Proverbs I use? And it's almost every, every message. Proverbs 19, verse 18, correct your children while there is still hope. Do not let them destroy themselves because kids naturally will. 
A, a second principle, we don't discipline our kids, if we don't discipline our kids correctly, we don't love our children enough. Proverbs 13, 24, if you refuse to discipline your son, it proves you don't love him or her. Now, our kids need discipline. That's why God gave them to us. So there's some things to do and not do. First of all, don't do this. I Say to your kids, I don't actually want to discipline you, but Pastor Mark told me I, I had to. Did you hear the sermon? So what choice do I have now? Please don't say that. There's some things also not to do. Don't correct in anger. Ephesians chapter six, verse four, don't keep on scolding and nagging your children. This is the moment for the children to say amen, but don't do it because your parents are right there. Make, making them angry and resentful. Rather, bring them up in the loving discipline with suggestions and godly advice. Have you ever been to a store and you could hear on another aisle a mom screaming at her child? Just telling that child, oh, boy, when I get you out of here. Have you ever heard that? I've heard that. And you know what comes to my mind when I hear it? I think to myself, you know what? Probably that's how that woman was raised by her parents. And she thought to herself as a kid, I'll never do that to my kids. And here she is doing it. Because it's all she ever learned. There is a discipline that we give, the scripture says, of using the moment to help the person understand something. And you know what? Let me just be honest with you. All of us parents fail. None of us are perfect and we all screw up. So when that moment comes in which we're so stressed out, we're so pushed and we do the wrong thing, then go to your child and say, you know what? I should have disciplined, but I didn't do it right. And I just want to tell you, that was not the right way. And I want to ask your forgiveness about that. I'm going to try to get the discipline in the right way. Okay, amen. Second of all, watch your words. Ephesians 4 verse 29, don't use harmful words. Use only helpful words, the kind that builds up. And while you're doing it, please don't use the word never. Don't use the word always because those words, you, you always do this. You, are, you never do the right thing. And those words aren't true in the first place. And they do things in the mind of that child that shouldn't be done. So don't use those words. And here's the last one because I'm, I'm, I'm way over time. Forgive immediately. And this is something my father did extremely well. I was in trouble just like every other boy. I was a boy. But when my father disciplined me, you know what he'd do? He'd come back in and he'd say to me, Mark, I forgive you. And that forgiveness meant the world. Forgive. And once you forgive, never bring it up again. James Dobson wrote a book called Parenting Isn't for Cowards. And he's right. The title was right. The book is really good. The title was right. The truth is because the hardest thing you'll ever do in your life is raising children. But the greatest joy you'll ever have in your life is going to be because of your children. It's worth every minute. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege of coming and hearing your word and 
God, use today to work in us, to improve us, to help us to be all we can be. And God, we're not perfect. So it's okay to say we, we messed up. Father, help us as we grow as parents, as we grow as children. Help us to become more like you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.